Welcome to Wellness Life's Legends of Pana, a mini podcast series that revolves around the stories that portray animals in a sense of awe and admiration and fear for some. These stories help us find out whether these may have affected and molded the modern world treatment of animals. Without much ado, I present to you Vishal and Shashwat, your hosts for Legend of Pana. So, let's dive in. Hello there, this is Vishal and this is Shashwat. your host for legends of fauna we are wilderness life coming to you directly from our homes thanks to covid-19 we hope you are safe and doing good now wilderness life is a website that cares about animal conservation and is made by someone who loves to travel and explore it is true that animals today need protection but why exactly is that why are there so many humans interfering with the natural order of life Maybe because the natural order of life isn't what it used to be years ago. It is weird how once upon a time we were the ones frightened of them, locked in our houses after dark in fear of being eaten. And today it is them who are locked behind in cages or running from poachers to save their life. Why? Why is it that the animals that once struck fear in our hearts are today at our mercy? Well, you know Vishal maybe it could have something to do with how the legends portrayed them now this is what we want to find out in this podcast maybe by the end of the series we won't feel so bad about ourselves will we maybe for once we could see what it was about these animals that struck fear in our hearts and made us admire them in awe in the year 1955 robert graves a famous british poet and scholar explained that myths have two main functions The first is to answer the sort of awkward questions that children ask. You mean like how children are born? Uh no, not that one. I don't think the society is still ready to move away from the stock story, but rather ask questions such as who made the world and how will it end or maybe who was the first man and woman on earth. And secondly, according to him, the function of myth was to justify an existing social system. and account for traditional rights and customs wow okay it sure does sound heavy vishal but it really isn't you see everything right from the starting stemmed out of the concept of fear and admiration and from this fear and admiration stemmed out religion religion took on many faces as it traveled the world around it giving each place its own sense of origin and individuality and eventually from this individuality itself stemmed stories which later turned into mythologies continuing on that cycle the next in line were obviously customs and traditions which led to the reinforcing of principles and which further made the roots of fears and fables strong well shashwat that's one way to look at mythologies Why don't we first take a look at a few key mythologies and their contribution to developing an image for animals? There is a lot in common between these and how they perceive animals. Yes, we most definitely should. So hold on to your earbuds and enjoy as we take a plunge into ancient history. Let's get started with the Greek. The Greek mythology believed to have grown from the oral tradition. evolved from the Minoan civilization of Crete which flourished from 1300 BC to 1100 BC Greek mythology is known for its mighty gods and goddesses brave heroes and deadly monsters and a lot of affairs 
These myths were a way to explain the existence, the natural phenomenon, the political and social system. One way of understanding whatever they saw on them had stories behind each. In the Greek world, there were 12 gods and goddesses who were collectively referred as the Olympian gods, the main gods of the ancient Greece. After overthrowing their ancestors, the Titans, the Olympians became the ruler of the cosmos. The 12 Olympians were Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, Hera, Demeter, Athena, Apollo, Hestia, Aphrodite, Hermes, Ares, and Artemis. The leader of the gods was Zeus. The Olympians resided in the majestical Mount Olympus, the highest mountain of Greece. The gods have sacred animals of their own which describe them the best and into which they can morph into while they were in the moral realm. Aphrodite was best depicted as dove and sparrows, showing the goddess as the symbol of love, beauty, and pleasure. Ares, the god of war, bloodlust and violence, was depicted as boar and vulture, showing his strength and bloodshed. Zeus was associated with eagle, a reference to his dominance of being as the sky god. We also have some really popular mythical creatures. The great hound of hell, Cerberus, so fierce and scary that the gods fear them. The three-headed dog who guards the gate of underworld is so cool that they put a character as a reference in Harry Potter. One of the most famous Greek mythology creatures we have centaurs. They are half human, half horse. Living in the lush green lands, they were known for their fighting skills. Satyrs, the joyful loving creatures who were part human and part cool. Yes, it is our boy Grover Underwood from Percy Jackson. The Satyrs were known for their talent of drama and dance. Wow, that's good to know. Now, coming up, Hindu mythology. The narrative found in Hindu texts such as the Vedic literature, epic like Mahabharata and Ramayana, the Puranas, the regional literatures like the Periya Puranam constitute some parts of Hindu mythology. They can also be found in literary works such as Panchatantra. The Hindu mythology is often not consistent and uniform. The same mythologies can be found in different forms across various socio-religious traditions. These myths are often modified by various schools of philosophies over time. However, each Hindu epic celebrates the belief that the universe is boundlessly various, that everything happens simultaneously and all possibilities exist without excluding the others. There is no single basic version of a Hindu epic. Each is told and retold with a number of variations over time. Over the years, the scholars agreed to pin the date of the origin between 2300 BC and 1500 BC in the valley of Indus. Hinduism is actually considered to be the oldest of the religion. The mythology is populated by an enormous cast of deities, demons, demigods, humans and animals. It is believed that humans live an endless cycle divided into four yogas. Some animals had a central role in one era but remained in the background in later periods while others have risen from obscurity to prominence. The attributes and histories of many mythological creatures have changed over time. It includes a huge number of stories and some have proven to be especially endearing and central to the understanding of Hinduism. This mythology includes several different accounts of the beginning of things but in each version the act of creation is really an act of arranging which is producing order from chaos 
and it is really similar to that of the Greeks. Vedic texts tell us of the sacrifice of a primal being called Purush, whose cut-up body becomes all the elements of the universe. Another image of creation is that of fertilization and pregnancy, which occurs in myths about Prajapati, the father of all humans and animals. Sometimes even heaven and earth are described as parents whose mating produced gods. So maybe Bollywood was not all wrong about the flowers mating. Who knew? Yeah. Now coming to animals, animals hold something of the divine in India. Indian literature teaches Hindus to love nature and wild animals, and their lives and well-being are placed at par with that of humans. Animal characters in Hindu epics are sometimes just as they appear, but other times they are human beings or even gods in the form of animals. There is no clear division in the Hindu tradition between gods, people, and animals, and sometimes these characters are a mix of all. Some animal characters are noble and heroic, while others are plain evil, just like their human counterparts. In the Hindu tradition. animals are given the benefit of doubt and assumed to be people not unlike ourselves hindu myths teach that animals and humans were once close and communicated on equal terms for example in ramayan characters like jambavan the bear and jatayu the eagle are mentioned even shri lakshman shri ram's younger brother and a key character in the epic was considered as a human incarnation of the great serpent adishesh or sheshnag on whom lord vishnu rests ramayan also suggests that each animal is intelligent cultured and sports his or her own spirit achievements and physique indian deities are also associated with an animal that serves as their vehicle and companion hindu goddesses and gods are often depicted in the company of animals for instance lord shiva rides on his trusted bull nandi who is the giver of life the great god brahma rides a goose a bird known for migrating great distances and is a symbol for the soul's quest for release lord vishnu is associated with garuda a mythical bird who is half bird and half man and who represents the essence of knowledge and the one who transports people from one world to another to counter them there are stories of many naughty snakes as in the case of kaliya nag in the krishna mythology so here we can see how animals in hindu stories are depicted and even glorified which makes it clear to all that they want to live just like we do and can be allies if respected protected and preserved very true now let's see what norse mythology is The Norse mythology is traced back to Germanic tribes from the 9th century AD. It is practiced in Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. The Norse mythology refers to the Scandinavian mythological framework that was upheld during and around the time of the Viking Age, which is the Middle Age. This mythology believes that the world was created from the parts of a giant that was slated by the gods with various rings spread out beneath the world tree Yggdrasil. and the eventual destruction of the known world in the Ragnarok the mythology is headed by the one-eyed odin wait uh, you mean odin as an avengers odin the father of thor and loki exactly now 
that's actually a very good reference point although not extremely accurate norse contains a great number of different gods and goddesses who were venerated in customs integrated into the ancient scandinavian daily lives gods were also venerated and called upon by the whole community sites of potential cultic activity gods like thor odin and freyr were sacrificed in times of a mine or disease war or even when weddings popped up respectively okay so going back to the avengers reference uh, the mother and father of thor and thor himself are worshiped during famine and weddings that's interesting to know exactly in fact the norse gods are themselves boxed into two families Firstly there is the bigger Aesir family mostly connected with war and government which was in practice also used as an umbrella term for the main gods in general it includes notables such as Odin Thor Loki Baldr Odr Heimdall and Tyr Secondly the smaller Vanir family contains fertility gods such as Njord Freyr and Freya Uh okay So that means that Thor, his brother Loki and his father Odin were all members of the war family. Meanwhile, their mother was a member of the fertility family. That's correct. But again, we are just treating Avengers as an example and nothing more. Now, the contrast between the Aesir and the Vanir has been argued to stem from the oppositions in Viking society. as the vanir with their focus on fertility good harvest and climate were popular in the farming communities while the aesir were seen to advise kings lords and their warriors in matters of war and governance as such the peace made at the end of the vanir wars might reflect the idea that the society could only function through the combined powers of both the social classes The Norse worldview as we can best distill from the various sources boils down to the following general idea that there were four phases firstly the process in which the world and everything in it was created secondly a dynamic phase in which time is started thirdly the destruction of the world in the Ragnarok and fourthly the final one the arising of a new world from the sea In the Norse culture of Scandinavia, animals were seen as messengers from the spirit world, trying to guide us through life. The bear was seen as the forefather of man. The Norse gods Thor and Odin often took the shape of a bear to visit the human world. The bear stands for strength, healing, inner wisdom, and balance between the seen and the unseen world. The female bear was the symbol for the feminine aspect and principle and the male bear was the masculine principle similar to the Chinese yin and yang The moose or the elk is known in Norway to be the king of the forest he carries within his spirit the deep knowledge and the mysteries of the forest The elk will help us to find this inner wisdom and inspire us to be more confident and appear with grace The belief of the mythology so heavily depended on sacrifices that the animals in that era were treated lightly with some to have higher pedestals and to be treated with respect and honor and some to be lower in the society to be sacrificed to the gods to summon them The red deer carried a lot of meaning to the Norse people In the Norse mythology we hear about Dunayor Durektro Dwalin and Dain the four red deers who graze in Yggdrasil the tree of life 
The red deer is associated with the healing touch and the resurrection of the spirit. It is the messenger between our world and the other world. The wolf is known as an animal of protection. It is a moon animal associated with renewed energy and wisdom through connecting with our inner child. In Norse mythology, we hear about Odin's wolves, Freke and Geirir, who brings in news from the earth. That sounds about right. Now coming to Abrahamic religion. The Abrahamic religions, also referred to collectively as the Abrahamism, are a group of Semitic originated religious communities of faith that claim descent from the Judaism of ancient Israelites and the worship of the God of Abraham. The religion believes in only one God as the creator and the nurturer of the universe. There are three major religions that come under this universe umbrella. Judaism, Christianity and Islamic religions. The first one being Judaism was founded in 7th century BCE followed by Christianity in 1st century CE and Islamic in 7th century CE. In all these three religions, animals have often been treated with love and compassion. So you mean Christianity, Islam and Judaism are in fact one religion? Uh, no, not really. They are three different religions, but they have stemmed from one. In fact, a lot of stories found in the Quran and in the Bible are similar, if not same. And the name of the holy book of Judaism is Torah, which roughly translates to Hebrew Bible. Although, individually, they have minor differences in how they portray animals. For example, in Islam, cats are considered as ritualistically clean animals while dogs are frowned upon for being unclean. Similarly, in Christianity, doves represent love, while lions represent power. Meanwhile, in Judaism, lions represent authority and dominance. These religions don't believe in humans metamorphosizing into animals to teach each other lessons, or turning into heroes or villains who are half humans, half animals. They believe that humans have succeeded animals and they are different from them altogether and that they should live in harmony with all living beings the way the God intended it to be. Interesting. Now, the next in line is the Sumerians. The Sumerian religion is followed by the people of ancient Mesopotamia, established somewhere between 4500 to 1400 BC. But the oldest record only dates back to 2900 BC. I really want to know how they pinned it to 1400 BC. I mean, 1000 BC can be a big deal, can it? But on a different note, it also is the oldest religion dating way before Hinduism. Wait, uh, didn't we establish that Hinduism was the oldest of all religions in the world? Yes, yes we did. Sumerian is in fact the oldest mythology. Except Hinduism exists today, Sumerians do not. Moving on from that trippy information, the Sumerians regarded their divinities as responsible for all matters pertaining to the natural and social orders. Before the beginning of kingship in Sumer, the city-states were effectively ruled by theocratic priests and religious officials. Later, this rule was supplanted by kings, but priests continued to exert great influence on Sumerian society. In early times, Sumerian temples were simple, one-room structures sometimes built on elevated platforms. 
Towards the end of this civilization, these temples developed into ziggurats, tall pyramidal structures with sanctuaries at the tops. That sounds a lot similar to the pyramids that were created by the Egyptians, don't you think? Yes, very true. Now, Sumerian mythology claims that in the beginning, human-like gods ruled over earth. When they came to the earth, there was much work to be done. And these gods toiled the soil, digging it to make it habitable and mining its minerals. The Sumerians believed that the universe had come into being through a series of cosmic births. First, Namo, the primeval waters, gave birth to An, the sky, and Ki, the earth, who meted together and produced a son named Enlil. Enlil separated heaven from earth and claimed the earth as his domain. Humans were believed to have been created by Enki, the son of An and Namo. Heaven was reserved exclusively for deities. Upon their deaths, all mortal spirits, regardless of their behavior while alive, were believed to go to Kur, a cold, dark cavern deep beneath the earth, which was ruled by the goddess Ereshkigal and where the only food available was dry dust. In later times, Ereshkigal was believed to rule alongside her husband, Nergal the god of death. Animals, though hardly are mentioned in the Mesopotamian text, were a major key to bind the inhabitants and the gods together. This civilization marked the change in hunting techniques towards animals to rearing and farming of them. Huh. Okay. Now, last but not the least, let's come to Japanese mythology. The mythology of Japan has a long history dating back more than 2000 years. It became a part of two major religious traditions, Shinto and indigenous religion and Buddhism, which developed in India and came to Japan via China and Korea. The difference between them was that Shinto believed in forces of nature, while Buddhism believed in the actual existence of God. Japanese mythology includes a vast number of gods, goddesses and spirits. Most of the stories in the mythologies concern with the creation of the world, the foundation of the islands of Japan, and the activities of deities, humans, animals, spirits, and magical creatures alike. Some of these myths describe characters and events associated with particular places in Japan, while the others are set in legendary locations like the heaven or the underworld. For many centuries, myths were transmitted orally in Japan, in 712 AD, a written version of the mythology, the Kokiji, which translates to Records of Ancient Matters, was compiled for Japanese imperial court. The tales in the Kokiji tell of the creation of the world, the origin of the gods, and the ancestry of Japanese emperors who claimed descent from the sun goddess Amaterasu. In Japanese mythology, everything in nature has a kami, that is, a deity or a spirit, as a result, the Japanese pantheon is enormous, with some sources claiming that there are millions of different spirits and deities. Throughout Japan, local myths and legends tell about the kami of a particular place or a thing, such as a rock, a pair of trees, or maybe even a mountain. However, several major deities appear in significant roles in a number of stories from different regions. The two most important creator deities are Izanagi and his sister Izanami. According to the myths, they made the islands of Japan as well as of many of the gods and goddesses. 
Japan also has a set of zodiac animals as a set of calendar symbols imported to Japan from ancient China. Each animal represents a year in a 12-year cycle that is based on Jupiter's orbit as the planet takes nearly 12 Earth years to circumnavigate the sun. These symbolic animals still in use today follow this cyclic order. The rat, the ox, the tiger, the rabbit, the dragon, the snake, the horse, the goat, the monkey, the rooster, the dog and the boar. The zodiac animals promise good luck and images of them can serve as prayers for good harvest and prosperity. The flying dragon and the prowling tiger also came to represent heaven and earth. The two creatures convey the ancient Chinese concept of yin and yang, whereby all things, male and female, calm and movement, shade and sunshine are defined and complemented by their opposites. The dragon representing yang is placed on the right and the tiger representing yin is placed on the left. In this way, the balance between the wind and water may be secured and a peaceful world was made possible. With this, we come to an end to this episode. We really hope you liked it and we would surely wish to see you in the forthcoming sessions that help us understand animals and their roles in mythologies better. Until then, take care, have fun and be safe. Thank you so much for tuning in. You will find us in your playlist every Monday, Wednesday, Friday and Saturday at 6 p.m. If you like wilderness lives, legend of fauna, please like, subscribe and share with your friends and family. You can also visit our website www.thewildernesslife.com to know more about us. Or you can always follow our official Instagram and Facebook pages at the rate wilderness_life. Or register to our Medium publication. the wilderness life to keep updated with our work see you guys soon with yet another episode